three days have come off the calendar in the NBA free agency period, off-season period, whatever you want to call it, transaction window, moratorium. Um, and the Jazz are four for three. They've made four transactions in, in the last, uh, you know, three days, counting starting Monday at, at 4 p.m. Mountain Time when they were able to to officially begin transacting and negotiating and making deals and making commitments. Um, not a lot can be put in ink until this Friday when the moratorium is lifted, but, uh, but they have been busy making deals and we're going to break down all of those deals. So here to do that on this latest edition of the salt city hoops podcast is uh, the, the really the like, you know, co-host of this podcast practically. In fact, Ken, I, I joked when you were out of the country in our shared second home in Spain and I, and I podcasted with some other people, I joked that I was like, I almost felt unfaithful, but anyway, here's, here's Ken Clayton, uh, joining me, Dan Clayton, uh, to talk about the jazz and, and free agency and the transactions that they've done in the last three days. Ken, how are you doing? Estoy bien. Oh, sorry. We're doing this one. We're doing this one in English. Okay. I mean, I can hang. Whatever, whatever you feel like, you, I can hang. You, you can probably hang far better than I can, even though I'm just from España. Yeah, yeah. Um, missed, you know, parts of the NBA Finals, but made sure you zipped on back for, um, for what I would, you know, I, what I would call an important offseason for the Jazz. I don't think it's quite like other offseasons where they were really reshaping the roster, but they had some, they had some things that they that they needed to do to make sure that they could build off of last year's success as the number one seed. And, and obviously, you know, the first bullet on that list was re-signing Mike Conley, which happened shortly into the free agency period actually kind of happened before there were, there were plenty of rumors um, earlier in the day on my, I know, I know kind of <laughs> weird to believe um, there, there were rumors that the jazz and Mike Conley were, you know, preparing to agree on a deal in a particular price range and where they wound up settling is three years, 72.5 million. Um, there's probably some guarantee details we haven't heard yet. There may be some incentive details we haven't heard in there yet, but overall, um, you know, I, I, I don't think we need to talk to our listeners a lot about Mike Conley and who he is and why he's important to the jazz, but, um, you know, we can talk about the number a little bit. Do you think, is that, um, I, I guess, is that, a fair range is that where you expected Mike to be. And then, you know, compared to other things that have happened in, in NBA free agency, um, you know, how did the jazz do getting Mike for an annual contract value of about 24 million? If we ignore, you know, guarantees and incentives and things like that. I think they did a great job. Uh, I, when, when it was leaked that it was going to be three years, 75, that didn't shock me. When it was then leaked that it was going to be three years and sixty million, then I felt I I felt like we got a bargain. Although I had been set up with the seventy-five million number, so you know <laughs> right. you're you're kind of to some extent. Even though I think I can evaluate contracts, you know, outside of that, I had just gotten myself used to the seventy-five number, so like a bargain. And then it came out that it was what was it sixty-seven point five or sixty-eight point five. So they split the difference. And now, now we think it's at 72.5, but we don't see how much of that might be guaranteed versus not guaranteed, particularly in that third year. And we don't know how much of that might be incentive. They're unlikely. So there's a little gray area still probably until Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when we get a 
clearer view of exactly what that contract looks like. But the overall, just the the seventy two and a half million feels like it's in the range you'd expect pay for a however many year veteran, first time All Star, somebody who um, was the third best and third most important last year on a on a team that again, like you mentioned, had the best record in the league and sadly didn't go quite as far as we hoped. It was, in, in my mind still, no matter what the naysayers say, was still a championship contender. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I So, yeah, I mean, like, we get a little hung up on results and the Jazz were out in the second round and and that's that was disappointing and not what anyone expected. They were also down 1.5 All-Stars, right? And one of those one of yeah. those All-Stars they were missing for most of that series was Conley, um which yeah. I think actually just underscores the value and why it was important to bring him back. He's he's so um I mean like, you know, Donovan Donovan was amazing in that series, which is even more remarkable since he was playing on one leg, but but you know, partially because his mobility was limited, he just he couldn't solve defenses the same way that Mike can, or or even the same way that he was doing earlier on in the Clippers series. I think after game one or two, um, you know, I I commented and did a thread on just how remarkable Donovan's reads were, and and then that kind of went away when he couldn't just get wherever he wanted to get by sheer willpower. So, um, you know, Mike helps with that. He's also I think a better defender than most people realize. I think culturally he's really important. So, um, you know, I'm with you. I think, look, you, we're, we're in a world where um, Spencer Dinwiddie just got 20 and Spencer Dinwiddie's like, he's good. He's a fine, he's a good player. He's a fine player. Yeah. He's, he's not an all-star level player. Um, Evan Fournier got over 20 and I like Evan Fournier in a different financial reality. I, I, think Evan Fournier would help the jazz like I, you know so these are good players but my point is just the jazz got an all-star literally in the price range where other teams are getting like you know nice good starter caliber like good players good gets and and the jazz got a guy there who um you know obviously has some health concerns and and obviously is longer in the tooth but um but I but I think where they landed with him you know you look at you look at what Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul got by comparison. Right. I, I think the jazz did well with Mike. Yeah. Agreed. I was just going to bring those two up because uh, Chris Paul's definitely older. Kyle Lowry as well. Is that correct? Older than Mike? Uh, about it up quickly and I didn't. Same. Kyle Lowry age. Kyle Lowry's older. He's, he's, uh, he's 35. 36. You know, turned 35 last spring. So um, Chris Paul's certainly older. And, um, you know, look, Chris Paul opted out of 44 million to sign a deal with an average annual value of 30. Um, And, you know, probably a lot of reasons why he did that. And, you know, at at his age, that was that was probably a smart move. But the point is, you know, like he he took maybe a little bit of a discount, too. And, And overall, Chris Paul is a more impactful player than Mike Conley. Nobody's pretending otherwise. But. But yeah, you normally if you want if you want a team with three all stars on it, that means you know normally you're you're approaching or crossing the hundred million threshold just with those three players. I, I you know I think that's pretty typical in the NBA. Yeah. Um, well, all right. We we said we were going to give Mike kind of short shrift just because nobody needs uh, you know. Ken and Dan Clayton to sit here and talk a ton about Mike Conley. Everybody 
that is going to listen to this podcast knows who Mike Conley is and, and probably has a pretty good idea how important he is to the jazz. Let's talk about the other transactions. Um, so the Rudy Gay signing is something that um, I don't want to say it was expected. I, I don't think anybody knew that the jazz were getting Rudy Gay specifically, but everyone knew that that type of player was at the top of the jazz's priority list with their taxpayer mid-level exception. Um, Rudy Gay was certainly on the list of guys who fit that kind of profile of a bigger bodied wing who, who mostly plays four in the modern NBA, um, who can knock down shots, who can defend, who, um, you know, Rudy Gay, I think as an added bonus can create a little bit more than some of the other guys um, you might picture in that profile. Meaning, meaning he's, you know, he's not just a Royce O'Neal type who like, I, I don't want, you know, no offense to Royce. I don't want to say just here, but like Royce primarily is a three and D guy. And he does both mm-hmm. those things really well. He D's well and he shoots threes well. Rudy Gay does those things. And, but also, you know, he's been a star. He, he can, he can get his own shot in certain situations. So, um, you know, again, an interesting one, um, not, not altogether shocking, like the next one we'll talk about, but let's just hear your overall reactions to, you know, how, how big of a deal do you think it is to get Rudy Gay at that $5.9 million exception? Oh, I think it's absolutely a, the fact that they were able to get him and kind of, and it's probably just because as, as Utah fans, as a, as a group, not necessarily me personally, but we probably, we get a little sensitive about the whole label of free agents never want to. Um, obviously we weren't, you know, we weren't in contention for Kawhi Leonard. We weren't in contention for the biggest names. All we have is the taxpayer minimum of that mid-level exception. So, but within that range, I think we did just as well as we could do. Uh, with a Rudy Gay, uh, maybe going after Otto Porter Jr. was the other name that was out there. With, with within that range, I, I don't think you could do a whole lot better than Rudy Gay, um, unless you swing for a development pick and you really hit it out of the park. But that's a lot harder to do versus taking a known commodity who you think we can throw this guy out there next May and cross our fingers June and know what we're going to get. Right. I mean that, yeah, that's the thing is, um, yeah. So, so Rudy Gay is, he's 35, right? You, you'd think I would know this stuff if I was about to podcast about it. If we were about to, I think we both know this things, right? I've, I've looked up so many guys' age because I do the big free agent tracker that like pretty soon everybody is either like 34, 34, you know, 34, 35, 36, or they're 28 or they're 20. So anyway, uh, he, he is about to be 35. So I, yeah, that's I was, right. I was sort of correct. He, he will turn 35 this month. So he will be 35 before basketball starts. Um, And so, you know, I don't think, I don't think anything is guaranteed with a player who is 35, but that said, Rudy is not a player who has been, um, you know, how do you put it? Like he, he's not a player who has been kind of limping through his thirties. He did, I think, make a transition when he went from San Antonio from being like a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot to being more of a role player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he made that transition pretty successfully. He's been a, he's been a really good player with San Antonio in that regard. Um, he's still at age, you know, like I said, almost 35, he still puts up good defensive numbers, both in overall terms. If you trust kind of the macro defensive stats 
like DRaptor and DEPM and DRPM, um, but also on specific play types that really matter for a modern wing. I, I like to look at play types like, you know, how does this guy do against pick and roll ball handlers? How does this guy do guarding isolation scores? Um, and those stats are a little bit flawed because the ones that the ones that the general public has has access to mostly only look at the end of the play. But it's a good barometer for like, hey, does this guy still have an ability um, to stay in front of people and to kind of impact someone who wants to score with the ball in his hands? And Rudy Gay does really well in those settings, um, as well as still being a guy who, who, like I said, can can knock down shots and in certain situations can create shots. So I, I think he's um, you know, I, I also think George Niang was underrated in some aspects because he did a lot of those same things better than most jazz fans realize. But Rudy Gay is probably a, a degree or two more dynamic in that sense. Um, he's, he's bigger, he's longer, he's got a bigger wingspan. He's, he's got, um, you know, just, I, I think a, a rounder package of skills than Niang. And, and that's basically, I think whose minutes you're mostly, um, eating into with with Rudy Gay, so I, you know, I agree. I think it's uh, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's good that they could get him. I, I joked today on Twitter. Somebody said they were so amazed we could get him. I said, well, thank, send a thank you card to Mike Conley. I'm sure that had <laughs> something to do with that they were together in Memphis. Although I saw a Memphis fan thing, they don't include Rudy Gay as part of the grit and grind. I don't know what the criteria are to be included in such a thing, but. Uh, somebody has their own uh, limitations and doesn't include him in that. Uh, Rudy Gay, uh, one, a two-year contract. Well, a one play option, I believe, on the second year. So he could be a one and done in Utah, or he could uh, stay for two, or he could opt out and re-sign another deal uh, to be re- eligible for early bird the next year. If we're getting ahead of ourselves on free agencies to talk and you want to talk 2023, that's a possibility. That's a yeah. long time in the future for a 35-year-old guy, though. So probably more to do with just one or two years, whether he feels like he's uh, fitting in well and enjoying his time in uh, Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. I think one of my favorite things about the about the gay signing is that it, it does give the Jazz a little bit of um, flexibility in terms of how to play um, oh, yeah. and, and who to play and where to play them in, in, the, in a way that, that Niang and even, and even Bogey and O'Neal don't really do. Cause the thing is, you know, the jazz, even their big bodies before this signing, even the, you know, Bogey's what six, nine, six, 10, Joe Ingles is six, eight. Royce O'Neal is, is smaller in height, but you know, often plays the four often guards, big guys, like all those guys are, are big bodied. But, you know, Bogey and Ingles, especially, they, they kind of play like guards. They, they sort of play a guards game. So mm-hmm. just the ability to have a guy who, who feels and, and Niang was a little bit the same way, right? Niang um, was mostly a corner spacer. He would put the ball on the floor a little bit if guys closed out to him. He, they mostly stashed him on guards on the defensive end. And that meant Royce O'Neal had to, you know, really be, um, you know, extremely versatile in terms of the amount that the type of player he would guard from one night to the next. And I really like one of the things I like about gay is that, um, you know, he is a legit four. and in some situations and I, and you know, I, I haven't looked, I don't, I don't think San Antonio really used him at the five a lot, but you could, if you're in a playoff series where, you know, say the Clippers are going small with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and three guards, you, you can, 
play Rudy Gay in, in that sort of an alignment and and use him as the screener some and um and so you know I just I, I think it's interesting. I think it gives them some different looks that they didn't have um this last season. Yeah, I heard people mentioning the idea of Rudy Gay as a small ball five and I my eyebrows raised a little bit, but I I dug into it a little bit. I watched a few highlights and you know the more I looked at him he I mean he is a he is now he has turned into a solid more of a power forward type body. In fact, you look up his uh, height and weight, he's now listed at 6'8", 250. Guess who was listed as 6'9", 250, but standards would probably be listed as 6'8", Carl Maloney. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. that's a, I mean, I'm not saying their body types are entirely similar, but when I looked at Rudy Gay now, I think in my mind I had younger Rudy Gay being, look at his body now, he's definitely, uh, a lot thicker than he used to be, not in a bad way. Um, and I, I'm also thicker than I used to be, but uh, <laughs> that's that's a different story. So yeah, I, I yeah I think he could definitely. I mean, four is it looks like his position now. When people say he's a three four, I think in today's game he's a four, and it doesn't surprise me so much that he might be able to to spend some time at the five. Yeah, in certain situations, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and that's the thing because so, so he is meteor um, in a good way. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but it's not like, like he's still able to guard people. He's still able to, to operate in space. And, you know, again, when, when I did my play type study, um, he's one of the players that popped as someone who could guard the ball well and make catch and shoot threes. Um, and what, I, what I'm referring to there, I've, I've probably referenced this enough on Twitter that people who follow me know what I'm talking about. But um, but I went looking for every NBA player who shot at least 35% on catch and shoot threes, was a plus defender overall. I used D-Raptor, you know, a, a positive D-Raptor as the criterion there, just mostly because D-Raptor is easier to import and work with. Um, it's yeah. not my favorite all-in D stat, but it's, it's easier to mess with than like... Um, defensive estimated plus uh estimated plus minus um so okay uh catch and shoot threes above 35 percent positive d raptor and above average defensive points per possession on um when you're guarding iso iso ball handlers at the end of the play and pick and pick and roll ball handlers at the end of the play rudy gay check 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 he's one of 14 wings in the entire nba who check all of those boxes. Joe Ingles is another one. Um, Mike Conley does, but obviously not a wing. Royce O'Neal has in seasons past. He, he missed a couple of those marks this year, um, or one of those marks. I think he missed pick and roll um, ball handler. But anyway, Rudy Gay is, is really good at, at those defensive play types. He's in the 84th percentile when he guards an ISO scorer um, on, on almost one possession per game. So the sample size is, is not, it's, it, it's not anything to shake a stick at. And when he guards the pick and roll ball handler, he's in the 72nd percentile on more than one on 1.2 possessions per game. So this is a guy who can still move his feet. He can still impact a ball handler. Um, like anybody, he's going to get scored on sometimes because in, in today's NBA with as many dynamic scorers and, and the way the rules are, Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a scorers league. It's a guards league. It, it doesn't mean he keeps guys in front of him 100% of the time. Same is true for Joe. Same is true for Mike. It just means that, um, overall on average and over time, 
Rudy Gay is someone who can really impact a guy who tries to score with the ball in his hands. And, and I, I like that about him as much as I like his size and his ability to knock down shots. I'm sold. Let's sign the guy. Okay. I'll take silence as assent. Um, all right. Then there was another one <laughs> that was, that was kind of surprising. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was taken aback and then I got into it and, um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I, this is probably one where, where I should get your opinion first. Cause I'm at, I'm at real risk. If I start talking about the Hassan Whiteside thing of like launching into one of those diatribes where I just talk for three minutes and you sit there and look pretty. So, um, the Jazz signed Hassan Whiteside to a one-year minimum deal. Um, what the hell? <laughs> what? Like, what? What? What was your reaction? What was your reaction to the Jazz signing someone who used to, by the way, not that long ago, like two, three, four years ago, used to be the center of all kinds of debates around the league, especially among Miami fans, about wow, is this guy better than Gobert? He's not. I'll, you know, let's spoiler yeah. alert that one. Um, he's not, but but what do you think about Hassan Whiteside and his ability to help the Jazz as they look for a way to fill some minutes behind Rudy now that Derek Favors has departed once again? Yeah, so I was watching uh, one of the two summer league games, exactly what time it broke, and I was scrolling, and you know you see the the Woj bombs and the and the Shams bombs and things, and as I scrolled, I I saw. Hassan Whiteside's name and kept scrolling. And then as I scrolled, I saw Utah Jazz in a Woj bomb and thought, oh, I wonder who they saw. And my eyes had not yet picked up on the fact that the two things I thought I had seen that were completely unrelated were in the same tweet. <laughs> and that the Utah Jazz and Hassan Whiteside were yeah, being united. Um, it it was just it, it made it just didn't make any sense to my mind at the moment that 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 was going to be you know I you know Hassan White I'd find with you I mean you could have put almost any team in there and I would have been like oh yeah okay whatever um, that said I don't think Hassan Whiteside is a terrible basketball player I think Hassan Whiteside has some things he does very well I think it, with him it's all about engagement it's about you know clearly last year. I don't think Sacramento was very engaged with him. I don't think he was very engaged with Sacramento. His stats looked terrible. He looked like a guy who ought to be available for the minimum, and maybe that's an overpay. But you only have to go back one more year to see where he had some great stats in Portland. Now, he also fell asleep occasionally in Portland, too, so that he still has that capability even when his overall stats look look like he's a player. But I think you can definitely you – know, he's a guy you can count on. I mean, that was in a 30-minute-a-night role. So the question is, what's he gonna, what, how's he gonna look now in a fourteen to sixteen minute a night role, and and as a backup, you know, bench player behind Rudy Gobert, like and like you said, with whom there used to be a debate as to who was the better player. Yeah, I, I think we do this thing. We meaning like sports fans. I'm not, I'm not singling out jazz fans or anything like that. But I think we do this thing where we get where we get into one of those debates and we get so invested in it that it's, that it's easy to like exaggerate our viewpoint and, and make it like, 
like this year with the Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, defensive player of the year stuff, like I, I know who I think is the more impactful defender. I also know who the voters thought was the more impactful defender and they agreed with me. Um, but as you, as you talk through that, you can, you can start to like convince yourself that Ben Simmons is actually a bum and he's not a bum. I mean, like <laughs> Ben yeah. Simmons is a ridiculously impactful, impactful defender. The other one that I, that I think a lot of jazz fans need to just kind of course correct on is like, there's been this Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker debate, and they're both really special players. And when you're talking up your guy, you can kind of make it sound like Devin Booker is a bum and Devin Booker's not a bum. He was the second best player on a finals team. He's, he's really good. He's rounded into, he, you know, early on, I think there were some valid complaints about his efficiency and his inability or unwillingness to do some of the little things. And then, um, and then now he's like, he's a really special player and so is Donovan and, and it doesn't have to be one is special and one's a bum. They can both be special and impact the game in in really fundamental ways. And I think that what has happened with Hassan Whiteside is we spent so many years wrapped up as a community in this Rudy mm -hmm. Gobert, Hassan Whiteside thing that jazz fans just told themselves that Hassan was a useless NBA player. And he's very much not a useless NBA player. I mean, the guy is, you know, a 13 and 11 guy in his career. Um, if you look just at what has happened in his career, since he came back from a couple of years in Lebanon and China, he he's a 14 and 12 guy. Um, he does have an inconsistent motor. Like that's fair. He's had that yeah. inconsistent motor, even when he was averaging 17 points a game for Miami and leading the league in rebounds. And I think there were a couple different years that he led the league in blocks. Like he's, he's always been a, a guy who can put up numbers. He hasn't always been someone who consistently impacted the game. And that's a fair criticism of him. But like you said, there are just obviously some things that he does at an NBA level at an elite NBA level. And, you know, when you're talking about that role in those 15 minutes a night, what the jazz basically need from someone to keep things running while Rudy takes a breather is someone who can rebound the basketball, defend the paint and finish some pick and rolls. And I think he does all of those things relatively well when he's plugged in. So, you know, to me, the question is just, can the jazz keep him plugged in more consistently than, than some of his recent teams have? And I, and I would think some of that will be helped by, um, I mean, I, I have to assume it's just like not even worth saying because it seems so obvious that, that Dwayne Wade had some input and some guidance on maybe on both sides, telling the jazz yeah. to consider white side and telling white side to consider the jazz. I mean, this guy played with him for three and a half years in Miami uh, at the start of white sides time in Miami. Then, then Wade left. And then Wade came back for the end of, uh, of Whiteside's time in Miami. Some of Whiteside's best, best moments, too. Right, right. So, I mean, I think that helps. Um, I think being in a better situation helps. And I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at you, Sacramento. Um, and, then, and then the year before that, I mean, he was <laughs> – sorry, not sorry. Um, and, and the year before that, he's important. It's not a horrible situation, but it, but I don't think the stakes were as high as this. I don't think. Um, I mean, they did go. Was that the they went to the conference finals, or was that, or was it just the semifinals? Anyway, they. I mean, they have a good team, but I don't think anybody from the start of the year was thinking they were like some kind of presumptive, you know, potential finals team. Um, so, you know, maybe all these things together, 
just really, you know, help him get that motor revving for, again, 15 minutes a night. doesn't have to be forever. And it's good that the Jazz have some other options, too, on those nights when the motor isn't revving or if the motor decide, if they decide the motor is past its prime and ready to put out the pasture, that, you know, then that's a possibility, too. I hate to talk about that the day after they announce they're signing a guy, but, I mean, it's, you know, it could happen. But uh, for now, I think uh, full speed ahead and it's, let's assume it's going to work. Yeah. I, so I think, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, and, 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 and with some of the subtext that you didn't say, but that was implicit there, you know, I think Whiteside has to know at this point in his career that he's got to do a little bit of reputation rehabilitation, right? He, mm-hmm. he is coming off a year in which he played like 500 minutes for a bad team. Um, now some of that is cause they just wanted to play young guys. And, and that happens sometimes when you're in a rebuilding situation. Um, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault, but you know, he, he already had a reputation of being a guy who kind of spaces out sometimes and, and checks in and out of games mentally. Um, then he goes to Sacramento, doesn't get used, doesn't play, um, this last season signs for the minimum. So, you know, I think you're right that like, he's probably someone who's coming into this situation going, you know, I need to maximize this opportunity to, to redirect the narrative of who I am. And is that enough to get a guy who, who can, who has been capable of being a space cadet, you know, to really getting him plugged in and intense all the time. I don't know. But again, I, 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 I guess where I don't understand the negativity on this one, Look, I was surprised like everyone else, but where I don't understand the negativity is I can't really talk myself into. And I think anyone who's honestly looking at the numbers, it's hard to talk myself into feeling like Whiteside as a talent and as a what he can do in 15 minutes a night is a downgrade much, if at all, from the 2021 version of Derek Favors. And... I'm sorry, Derek. Like, Der- I love Derek Favors. On I love Derek Favors personally. I love what he's meant to the Jazz over his, you know, now ten partial seasons, um, with Utah. Um, but like, look, let's like so. So yesterday, I compared career stats in a in an argument with someone, and they said, "Oh, that's not really fair to do. You you can't include Whiteside's best years." Which I'm like, "Well, why can't you? That's part of who he is." But okay, let's. Let's just look at the last three years. Last three years, Hassan Whiteside is 19.17 rebounds per 36 minutes. Derek Favors is 15 and 13. Last three years, Whiteside is a 4.4 VORP player. Uh, That's value over replacement player. Derek Favors is 4.3. Really similar. They're really similar in box plus minus. They're really similar in rebound rate. They... uh, Derek Favors has like a 2%, a two-point advantage on effective field goal percentage. It's like, I can't, you know, if you're looking at per possession stats and advanced stats, um, it's, it's hard to make the argument that the jazz got worse. And, and then, you know, obviously then you have to factor in all the financial reasons why they went from Derek Favors at 1.7 million to really, I think almost any warm body at 1.6 million, which is the cap hit and tax hit on a, on a veteran on a one-year deal. Um, I think that, I guess what I'm saying is this, there are a lot of guys who at the minimum, a lot of centers at the minimum who would have been just fine. I think the jazz did better than just fine 
if again, you know, if this is a, a player who is invested in turning around his career and, and making this a meaningful stop. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. In fact, I told you, uh, you and you alone, I have not publicly said this. So breaking news right here. I, I oh, yeah. just, I, and, and I will be tickled pink if I'm wrong, that I just think the trajectory of where Derek Capers is heading is, is not necessarily upward. Um, and I don't guarantee that Hassan Whiteside is either, but I just feel like keeping Derek Favors into the future, not only were you going to have the huge financial hit, but you might also have further deterioration. There were times in the season this past year where not look healthy, whether it was back or knees or both. And there were a few times when he did. In fact, it was funny because when he had those games, it was a little bit of a surprise how he was suddenly moving better. I don't know if he was calling Joe Johnson and getting hot yoga tips or what the deal was, but every once in a while he looked healthy, but that was getting to be more the exception. Obi's magic cryo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hot yoga, cryo chamber, cold. I don't know what it was. Good advice, I guess. Um, I mean, Shaq advertises for Icy Hot, and he knows a little something about center mobility in the NBA. Um, Yeah, I hear you. Like, I think think there's a scenario. I think the most likely scenario that most people envisioned was the Jazz filling that Derek Favors role with, like, Alex Len at the minimum, right? Yeah. Or Frank Kaminsky at the minimum. Um, or, you know, in the last 24 hours, I saw a lot of jazz fans talking themselves into Kem Birch or Isaiah Hartenstein players who have like single digit career averages. And, and, um, and, you know, again, it's not all about stats. It's, it's, it's not, but, um, but what the jazz got in Whiteside is a player who has started 324 games in his career. So it's not about counting stats. It's about the fact that, um, you know, and, and this is true of the gay signing as well. And, and we'll talk about it a little, I'm sure with Eric Pascal. The, the Jazz now, so last year the Jazz had really nine players on the roster who had ever played any kind of a meaningful NBA minutes prior to last season. This year they're going to have 11. That is a big difference. Like, it mattered that the Clippers had 12 guys they trusted in the playoff series because it meant they could, you know, try some different things. And do I think they were a little bit crazy early on in that series trying too much stuff and not really giving their guys a sense of the game plan? Yeah, but... You know, again, if you can go into a playoff series with a dozen different guys that that you that you trust in that way, I think that's a positive. The Jazz haven't had that in the past because they have been dedicating an abnormal number of roster spots, abnormal for a contender, I mean, um, to developmental guys. And I think, you know, when you add a white side. When you add a Pascal, who's still a developmental guy, but he's a guy who's been in a rotation, what you're adding are guys who have heard their number called a bunch before. Um, they've logged minutes. They've played against stars. They've played against starters. They've they've seen different schemes. They've been in different arenas. They know how the ball bounces in that one spot in TD Garden. Like I, I think that's meaningful. And so I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not sitting here saying that Jazz fans should should chill out about Hassan Whiteside because he scored a bunch of points and grabbed a bunch of rebounds in his career. Although those things matter. What I'm saying is that like this guy's a a professional basketball player who's had a pretty fruitful and productive career. And yeah, can, can he impact the game more consistently? Can he stay more mentally involved in the game? He can. Um, 
but they don't need him to be a 35 minute a night player. They need him to to do some things while Rudy Gobert goes and, you know, reties his shoelaces. So I'm, I, I, I get the initial shock and awe and I was there too. Um, but I, but to call this a bad signing or a downgrade from Derek favors, I think ignores a lot of facts about just the magnitude of what Hassan Whiteside has been able to, to accomplish in his career. I agree. I'm sold. Let's, let's sign this guy too at the minimum sold again. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, well, that was it for free agent signings. The last bit of business the Jazz did just today uh, involved a trade. So we had heard that they were interested in Golden State's uh, Eric Paschal. Um, we had heard his name floated with with some rumors that, um, you know, associated with Joe Ingles that Ryan Smith and Tony Jones have both kind of told us in the last 24 hours, don't, don't sweat the Joe Ingles rumors. Um, but the Jazz still did find a way to get Pascal away from Golden State. I think Golden State um, preferred the tax savings and the open roster spot. So they said, sure, we'll, we'll give you Eric Pascal for um, a draft pick. And, um, and yeah, so the Jazz bring in a guy who's a, a close personal friend since they were young teenagers with uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, and also like adds his own little bit of, of, uh, positional versatility. Um, I'm, I'm a, frankly, I have some, I have some qualms a little bit about Pascal, like in terms of if they ever need him to be more than a 10th, 11th, 12th man. Um, but let, but let me, you know, seed the floor to you first and, uh, and hear your take on, on why that deal matters or doesn't matter to, uh, to the 2021-2022 Utah Jazz? I, I you mean, hopefully it doesn't matter tremendously. Well, I guess that, let me flip that around. Hopefully it does, because hopefully he's a diamond in the rough who comes in whatever, whatever. That's not my first stance, though. My idea is that he's going to be a bench guy. Just in, you know, if we're talking about the spot, I mean, I think he's, it appears that he will be probably sitting in the roster spot formerly occupied by Jawan Morgan. And so the question is, is he a better, you know, is he, is he going to bring more to the bench than potentially to the court once in a while than Jawan Morgan? I would, I would think so. My, my perception is he had a, not a great rookie year, but a far better than anybody expected rookie year. Although, a huge portion of that was just that Golden State had no bodies and he ended up being a power forward or center from time to time because they were, you know, they were without, without Steph. Uh, Draymond only played half the games. Uh, in fact, I looked at who they played at center that year. Um, and this is crazy because we're talking about a six, six guy and we're, and we're using the word center, but uh, they they had a few names on there. The only the most legitimate center I think they have was Willie Colley Stein, who they then yeah. traded at the deadline. So they just you know they needed people. Oh yeah, Looney was with them, but he was injured all year. So he he had a what what I would call a good rookie year, and that, maybe that's under was all uh, second rookie team, um, all rookie second team. I guess is the right way to say that. Um, 
And then last year, I think he definitely had some sophomore struggles as the team came back and was a little more competitive, getting into the eighth seed and then not making the playoffs in the play-in game. And But he also was dealing with some injuries. I, I tweeted a link to uh, what I thought was a very good, very fair uh, Eric Pathkel end-of-season report card in the Mercury News. Uh, it's on my Twitter timeline for anybody who wants to read that. I, I thought it was good. I talked about the good, the bad, and where he was going to go from there, presumably as a member of the Golden State Warriors, only even in that report card they talked about he could end up ill. Um, so mm-hmm. good pickup to me, good salary. He's only getting paid 113 k more than if they had gone and found, you know, an Alex Len or uh, whoever we talked about, they would, I don't think they would get on another traditional center, but he was only, you know, he's, he's basically a minimum salary. Why not? That's, that's yeah. Bas- yeah. Basically the jazz were, were at, at 13, um, you know, pretty much confirmed roster spots. Um, Jared Butler's unsigned, but he's going to be signed. Um, Mieoni yeah. is non-guaranteed, but, but he's going to make the roster. Um, the jazz usually, the Jazz usually do 14, or at least they start the season at 14, um, leave that 15th roster spot open. This year, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, I, you know, there's added motivation to stay at 14 if you can because ah. that one extra roster spot could cost you $9 million. But, right. um, or I guess, I guess, uh, anyway, we'll do the math. But, um, yeah, so so basically you were adding one more guy at the minimum one way or another, right? So if it's not Eric Paschal, you're probably going out and seeing if, like, Alfonso McKinney, who was waived by the Lakers so that they could sign one-year deals with everybody. Um, you, you might be, you might be seeing if like Aaron Baines wants to talk about a minimum salary after he gets waived by the Toronto yeah. Raptors. Um, he had a, he had another down year. Um, so, you know, in that sense, I, I think it's, it's definitely low risk. Um, and again, you're, you're adding a guy who's been in a rotation. He, he was, I saw you tweeting jokingly about, um, your son, my nephew talking about how like, Hey, this is the leading scorer of the 2019, yeah, the 1920 golden state warriors. So like, you know, and there's a lot of context behind that and that team wasn't very real, but you know, again, he's been on the floor, he's faced defensive schemes, he's been on scouting reports. And, um, and so, you know, for that guy to be you know, whatever he is, your 12th man, your 11th man is probably fine, especially because again, he can flex a little bit between the three, four and five. Um, I, I do, you know, the jazz seem to have lasered in on him in a way that feels a little weird to me just because he's the only name we ever heard mentioned as a potential trade target. Um, he's the only name that was ever leaked as like, Oh, the jazz are interested in adding this type of player um, via trade. And so that prompted me to go look and see like, okay, what it is, what is it about Eric Pascal that the jazz love so much about him? Um, he's a 30% career three point shooter. So it's probably not that he has really bad um, defensive numbers in the pick and roll, both against ball handlers and against the roll man. Um, he's, as you mentioned, he's, he's six, six, so he's not huge. Yeah. Um, defensive metrics don't like him. True shooting and effective field goal percentage don't like him. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why they're this excited about who Eric Pascal is. Um, a lot of it may have been the Donovan relationship. A lot of it may have been 
just that they like that size profile and what that unlocks in terms of some positional versatility and, and some lineup versatility. But I think if, I think for them to be this, um, this dogged in their pursuit of Eric Pascal, they must think there's a better player in there than what we've necessarily seen to this point at both ends of the court. I, I think he's left a, a lot to be desired um, at both ends. Even that year he was scoring a lot. He, he was not doing it efficiently. Um, he does not shoot well. He's, you know, he's, he's got some, he's clearly got some skills. He, he's clearly an interesting prospect. They'll have um, team control because he'll be a restricted free agent with full bird rights after the season. So like yeah. it is kind of a future thinking acquisition to get a player like that whose destiny you can control to some degree but again i'm not exactly seeing like what is the skill set that he really answers in terms of how the jazz like to play they tend to like their bigs to either be guys who are defensively you know versatile and plus defenders in a lot of different situations or to be guys who can fill it up and this guy hasn't really historically done much of either on a consistent level but again i i think I think they're betting on the come a little bit, and I think that's fine with your with your end of roster spots, um, especially because the guy has, you know, he's he stood on NBA courts for a lot of minutes. Yeah, I think I, if I pulled earlier, it was a comparison finder of him versus Jawan Morgan, and when I pulled it up, I thought, oh, I must have set something incorrectly because it was just night and day. And it was all because of the opportunity that Pascal had his first season, but it was just ridiculous. The number, the comparison of, you know, the number of minutes, the number of points, the number of rebounds looked like not, it didn't look like two players who have both been in the league for each been in the league for two years. Uh, right. So hopefully that experience pays off. Hopefully that, uh, you know, that extra time on the court pays off, but I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't, I don't expect him to come on and fire like crazy from three point land. And I don't, uh, although I will say my perception of him from that first season was that he was better than, than he really is uh, from three point. And I would, yeah. my perception was that he was a better defender, but so yeah, just goes to show you the eye test doesn't always work. That said, I wasn't watching him in 20, 19 to 2020 uh, to scout him. I just, you know, happened to once in a while catch a game in which he was he, playing. He was on TV sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hear you. I like, and, and by the way, I do think he has like some defensive skill sets. So I like, you know, you can get a little bit too lost in, in the numbers. And like I said earlier, play type, play tape data specifically is, is a little weird sometimes because it only looks at the end of the play. It doesn't consider team schemes. It doesn't consider talent around you, all that stuff. So like, I, I want to be fair to the guy. I do think that he has some tools to work with defensively. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just, you know, for all those reasons, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how big, how big a role they have envisioned for him. Um, and I think we'll talk next about the rotation and where things are at there, but also like, you know, is this someone who they really think they can unlock at a, a different level with him? Um, more so than players like Jawan Morgan and Jarrell Brantley, who now I think they, they likely move on from, because again, the jazz are in the habit of, of going to 14 roster spots, not 15. So I, I think they will likely pull their QOs 
from those guys. They'll probably keep the, the QO out there for Trent Forrest because Trent Forrest is, is still eligible for a two-way contract with the Jazz. So mm-hmm. his, his qualifying offer is different and just gives the Jazz a little bit of leverage in terms of you know, forcing him to, if he's going to sign a two-way deal, sign it with the Jazz first. So um, I do think there's a chance Trent Forrest stays in the program, but Brantley and Morgan are, are probably you know, going to be looking for new frontiers now because the jazz believe in Eric Pascal and, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what that, how that pans out, what that looks like over, over these next 82 games and then whatever, however long Pascal stays with the jazz beyond that. Yeah. So just, um, just to, just to clarify, cause I think, I think you know this, but I think the way you said it was a little off the, the Juwan Morgan does not have a QO. So there is oh, right, no right, QO right. To, to pull from him. And right. uh, Jarrell Brantley does, although I don't know that they necessarily will pull it because all it does is guarantee him eighty-four thousand um, dollars if he if he signs it, which I don't think he would do because that kind of locks him into the Jazz through training camp. Um, so they may or may not pull it because all it all it does is guarantee him eighty-four thousand dollars if he signs it. He's not on under contract for next year. As far as guaranteed money, he's he's right. he's guaranteed eighty four grand. Which I mean, I know that they're probably not looking to pay any more out than they have to with the with the luxury tax looming. But it that that's you know rounding error when we're talking about the numbers we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and by the way, I think the way to your point, I think a lot of the way that those that those qualifying offer rules work. I think it, oftentimes it really behooves the player to not just sign the QO and force the team's hand. I think most players, especially fringe NBA guys know that there's some value in kind of working with the team and, and mutually discussing what's, what's best and what's going to make sense. And, you know, you can, you can find your way to a better situation that way sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. They might not, they might not pull the QOs, but I think it's um, at this point, it's a pretty, foregone conclusion that neither Brantley nor Morgan will make the final roster. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I think, you know, from a depth perspective, the jazz are looking at, um, at again, 14 guys. Um, I think they'll stay up 14. Um, I was looking, they, they don't, they don't have to, they can fill that, that, uh, can fill that 15th regular roster spot. If they do, it'll be a player whose tax hit is $1.67 million. Um, but the, but the tax on that 1.7 adds an incremental, let's see, it, it takes, takes the jazz's total roster cost. And, and I'm making some assumptions here. Like I have Mike Conley at 22.4 million as a starting salary. Yeah. I don't know yet if that's exactly accurate, but um but assuming that my other assumptions are correct, signing a 15th guy takes the overall roster cost from 191.3 million to 198.4 million. So a little bit more than $7 million yeah. um, that that one roster spot would cost them to fill. I'm not sure there are players out there whose impact is worth $7 million to Ryan Smith. Um, right. I also think Ryan Smith probably has that $7 million. So what the hell, but you know, my point is I, I think they'll probably stick with what they've got and what they've got is a depth chart that looks like uh, Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside and Udoka Azabuki up front at the center position at the four 
Um, you've got Bogey, and then you've got Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal, who, as we've talked about, both of those guys could maybe play small ball five in certain situations. At the three, you're looking at uh, Royce O'Neal. I mean, Royce O'Neal and, and Bogey are kind of interchangeable as three and four. But yeah, Royce right. O'Neal, Joe Ingles, and Mie Oni, who, like I said, I, I think his I think his non-guaranteed contract is, is pretty likely to be you know, picked up and, and to make the final roster. And then on the guard line, you have Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Hughes as your twos, as your point guards, you have Elijah Mike. Hughes. Elijah what Hughes. Is, what did I say? You said Larry. Oh man, that is like I'm going old school deep cast cut. here. Deep yes. cut, yeah. Deep cut. Uh at point guard, Mike Conley. Um, obviously Joe Ingles and and Donovan Mitchell are the de facto backup point guards. Um, and then there's Jared Butler, who we haven't talked about because he he was not a free agent signing. He was draft pick a draft pick last week, but he was kind of a combo guard at Baylor because he played next to Davion Mitchell. I think he he kind of they both had the the ball in their hands a lot. I think he's a player who, if the Jazz do use him in the rotation on and off, um, he will occasionally handle the ball. He'll he'll facilitate some pick and roll. He'll run some offense. So that's kind of what it's looking like to me. That feels like a pretty. Um, deep and balanced roster um, as opposed to a week ago when you're like, Oh man, the jazz have one real true big man in Rudy Gobert. I mean, a second one in Doke, but Doke hasn't played minutes yet. So um, I, I, I do feel better about just the balance on the roster and, and having, you know, guys who have contributed in the NBA um, at least a couple deep at every position. Yeah. I think they've definitely, I, I look at it, you know, you got. I think they're maintaining a nine-man rotation more or less. They've so they've swapped out Derek Favors and George Niang for Hassan Whiteside and Rudy Gay out of the guys who are going to regularly play every game. You know, give or take, barring injury, barring rest, barring whatever else, meteor strikes, alien attacks, whatever else happens. And then on the bench, they have swapped out really. Uh, Ersan Ilyasova, Matt Thomas, and probably Morgan and Brantley, like we mentioned earlier, for for the moment, Jared Butler and Eric Pascal. So I think, you know, depending on how people feel about individual moves, I think you look at that and you see you've got a little more versatility that you've given yourself in the backcourt with Butler, in the certainly in the in the bigs with Gay and Whiteside. And Pascal, honestly, although, you know, I don't think he'll play as frequently as the other two will. So I think you're giving yourself a little more versatility, a little more experience. Um, and then, you know, a lot comes down to that, you know, like we talked about earlier, the, the white side to favor transition and how that goes long term. Um, and I won't totally, uh, you know, obviously we have a really tiny body of work to look at with Doak, but it's been as encouraging as a summer league can be the first two nights to see him out there, his conditioning needs to improve, but he's, he's having some success. Of course, he's also like a head taller than every other guy on the court. So that, that certainly helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. I, I, I would have been really nervous if the jazz's plan had been just to, to roll with Doak and see what oh, we yeah. could do. I, I think that's fine for a team at a different point in their, contention journey but but where the jazz are i just don't think they could i mean doke 
um, got to the league in a summer where there was no real summer programs, mm-hmm. no real development, no anything. Um, he, he immediately went down to the G league. He got hurt in, I think literally his first game or, or one yeah. of his first games that he no, played. The, the it was game number one game. No, okay. I thought so. Yeah. Um, missed the rest of the G league season did get healthy enough to come back and like practice with the jazz when they came down the stretch of their season. Um, but obviously didn't see court time. So I just, I, and then by the way, then goes into his second pro off season, which, you know, this time around there is a summer league, but you know, everything's abbreviated because of the COVID stuff and the NBA playing catch up with their schedules. So I just don't think he's had, the opportunity to put himself in a position where he can, where you can say like, for sure, pencil him in for 15. Um, so in that sense, I'm glad that they, that they decided that a, that a minimum, a minimum quality veteran center was important. If, if Doak wants to upend the, the road, the depth chart and challenge white side for minutes, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that would be right. a good outcome for the jazz to have some real positional, some real rotation battles develop. Um, with right. those guys in, in spots 11 through 14. Um, but as of right now, I, I think you're right. I think the what the real rotation is going to be is Gobert, Whiteside, Bogey Gay, O'Neal Ingles, Mitchell Clarkson, and Conley. Meaning yeah. basically the same nine-man rotation as last year, just with Whiteside and Gay stepping in to favors and Yang's roles. And maybe yep. minutes shifting here and there, like Ingles can play sure. less um, and whatever. I, I think that's basically the nine man rotation. I do like that, you know, again, as I've said, if you need to look to your 10th man and your 11th man, that's probably Oni and Pascal. And those are two guys who now have been on the court a little bit and, and do have some NBA experience. I, I do still think Butler, Hughes, and Doak have to be looked at more as developmental roster spots at this stage but again um i'm actually high on butler i i think butler has a chance to put himself in a position to earn minutes but you know if if you're looking at at what's been proven at this point in time um i i think the jazz i think the jazz have 11 guys who they know belong on an nba court um and and i think we know which nine of those guys are penciled in as rotation favorites to start the season yeah i agree um, what haven't we talked about that we were going to talk about? I think we covered about everything. That was pretty efficient then. Yeah, we got um, the, we got the, you know, we went through the rotation toward the end. We talked about each of the free agent acquisitions. We touched on Butler, but that's, you know, older news at this point, six days ago, ancient history. Yeah, uh, you were still you were still trotting around the Pacific Northwest at that point in time, trying to follow the draft on Twitter. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, basically, actually, on draft night, I was in a place where um, where I had no Wi-Fi. I did have data, like I did have cellular data. Um, in fact, I've already gotten a, a nasty email from AT and T about my data usage for this cycle. Um, because all I all I was able to do was use my phone data to stay connected to the world as I hunted down Sasquatch and um, ate crab. Yeah. Um. What? What? I mean, what do you think of Butler? You know, I talked a little bit about my feelings, but just as we wrap up here, um, what do you expect 
out of Butler short term and long term? I think, uh, I mean, everything we're hearing from the brain trust, I, you know, I've watched the same like two or three YouTube highlight videos that everybody has. And in my case, I apparently have an attention deficit and I usually get like 90 seconds into one. And I'm like, okay, that's enough because the music is terrible and it's just highlight after highlight <laughs> after highlight. So I don't know if you have, if you have the same problem I do with highlight videos on YouTube. Um, so you know, I've watched what I've watched. I've heard what everybody said. I So I think he's largely going to be out of the rotation, but I think he'll have opportunities come, to come in. I think if Conley spends any time at all uh, out injured or just resting, if they try to preempt hamstring problems this year a little more uh, dutifully than they did last year, uh, maybe we get to see a little more Jared Butler on those nights. It'll be really nice, uh, what is it, Monday to see uh, hopefully Butler's first uh, debut with the Summer League team. Not that Summer League is really that big of a barometer of what's happening with a player, but I'm excited to see him, uh, you know, a, a player that we more about during Summer League. I've been watching the games, but um, not not as attentively as I as I have in the past with with. Uh, higher draft picks or basically draft picks at all. Well, I mean, we have the past draft well, roster play. players, really. I mean, like yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. It's mostly you're you're you've got an eye on Doke and you've got an eye on Hughes. Um, obviously, it's interesting to see what guys like Forrest and Brantley and Morgan do. But as we've commented on, like those likely aren't roster players by the end of this, or, or they're you know, like I said, Forrest may be a two way guy. Um, yeah. So it will be interesting to have a third guy um, join the join the fun on Monday who might actually, you know, be on, be on the regular roster in October. Um, I agree with everything you just said. I think, I think Butler, I've had a lot of people say like, Oh, what are the jazz going to do about backup point guard? And I, I think the jazz feel like that's fine ish. Um, I mean, obviously any team like the jazz were in an emergency situation last year when both Conley and Donovan Mitchell were hurt. Guess what? Every team in the league is going to have creation issues when their two best facilitators are hurt. Um, so yeah. I think you have to have a plan for that. You, you can't necessarily be five deep at every position in a world with finite roster spots in case two guys at any given position go down. Sometimes your plan has to be like, okay, who can we flex into a different role? And if that happens, you know, Joe Ingles, we, who we haven't really talked about because um, most of the Joe Ingles related stuff this off season has, uh, has died down now rumor wise, but Joe Ingles can obviously create as a pick and roll creator. He's, he's, you know, he's different from Donovan and, and Mike in that he's not really looking for his shot when he has the ball in his hands, but, um, but he can play, he can be the de facto point guard. Um, Jordan Clarkson can handle the ball in a pinch. And I really do think that the jazz feel like Butler is someone who, if, if they need someone who can run 15 pick and rolls in a particular game because someone's hurt, that Butler can do that much because that's basically the role he had at Baylor. Again, he, he played yeah. with Davion Mitchell, who a lot like Donovan Mitchell um, is a small two. And so he's, he's someone who um, did have the ball in his hands a lot, but still kind of needed a second facilitator on the court with him. And that's what Butler was. And, and Butler's pretty good in pick and roll, both um, in terms of setting the table for others and, and uh, and just shooting out of the pick and roll. He's a really good pull-up shooter. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if 
if you know we truth serumed Justin Zanuck and said, "What's the plan as an emergency uh, backup point guard situation if if multiple guys get hurt?" If he just said, "What do you mean? What's the plan?" Like there's there's five guys on this roster who can play some point guard in in you know at least in a pinch, and and I think Butler's part of that part of that plan at least you know at least theoretically. Now we have to. Now we have to see it and see if a guy who's six four with a six four wingspan can actually do that in the NBA. Yeah, no, I, I I don't think that's even I don't think truth serum is even required from everything we've we've heard from you know sources. Air quotes going on as I say that. I, I think that is the plan. I saw your discussion today, and I was going to reply and, and didn't just that. Eh, because I think the, the conversation you were having was the Jazz need to go out and get another free agent point guard just in case what happens if Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are both injured again. And my point would be if Donovan Mitchell and and Mike Conley are both injured again, um, you know, who was the name I had in my head, right? I was just about to say somebody. Um, well, I'll change the name. Uh, Howell Meadow probably isn't completely saving your season. You might save a game, yeah. If if it's a short term thing, but I think you know maybe Jared Butler could save a game. So it, it's not. I, I don't think you need to sign a guy for the whole season just in case you get to that point. Yeah, well, and so I've said this before. Um, like, I I do think that the Jazz in that Clipper series, just because creation was such an issue for them, with with Donovan able to score but not really manipulate the defense in the same way because of his because of his ankle, um, Mike Conley was out. Joe Ingles was kind of off mentally. Plus, just the Lakers are a bad matchup for for Joe Ingles because they they switch, and he's not a guy who can really just beat a switch, you know, a switching defense. And all the guys they had switching were like like sized guys, were six seven and six eight, and and so Joe couldn't like go just find himself an advantage and and make passes over people like he's used to. So, um, you know, their three best facilitators. Are, are kind of compromised in that setting. And so in that, in that realm, they're really dependent on Donovan just looking for his own shot or Jordan Clarkson looking for his own shot. And so I have made the comment a few times that like, if the jazz did have like insert any like journeyman, decent point guard here, like if the jazz had ish Smith to like run 10 pick and rolls against the Clippers, is that enough to beat the to beat the pressure and and you know to break through and and to hang on to one of those leads in in the games where they surrendered leads like maybe so the fact that i'm saying that kind of sounds like i'm arguing with myself i i do think point guard was or, or again not point guard cuz i you know we we don't need to stay hung up on the strictures of positional definitions but just Offense. creators creator yeah creators yes, yeah. initiators um they were they were one initiator short, but that's again because that was just the perfect storm. Like I don't think yeah. you can, um, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of situations where your two best initiators are both hurt at the same time, and the third guy is kind of neutered a little bit by the uniqueness of the team that you're facing. That's that's going to happen a few times throughout the regular season. You hope it doesn't happen in the playoffs again. You you, you hope that health and versatility and, and depth, you can find some answers. But again, the Jazz have five guys who, who I think they can they trust to go out there with the ball 
and make something happen for themselves or for a teammate. And that's without even mentioning the fact that like, you know, they can run some little one, three pick and roll for bogey and let bogey go to work from the elbow and, and, or, or do some second side creation stuff, which again, that was tougher against LA because of their size and, and their versatility. But, um, but the jazz, you know, the broader point here is I'm getting like way lost in the weeds. The big point is the jazz as presently constituted have a lot of ways to create offense. I'm not sure that they need to spend that extra 7 million to add an ish Smith to add a Tim Frazier, whoever it is, um, when they already have, you know, five guys who can handle the ball plus another couple of guys who can just score the ball. And, and, you know, Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay, like I mentioned, he can do more just creation stuff at the elbow than George Nian could dream of. So um, I think they'll be fine in that sense. Um, unless again, everybody just happens to get injured at the same time again this year, in which case we'll know that they're just cursed. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered the bases pretty well. Um, this has been a salt city hoops podcast. Ken Clayton. Thanks for joining me. Um, always nice to hear from you. Glad to have you back on this side of the pond so that we can talk basketball. Um, I'm Dan Clayton. Any, any parting words, parting thoughts, Ken? No, let's enjoy the rest of summer league, have a short break and it won't be all that long before we're back in training camp again. So, uh, abbreviated off season maybe not great for the players but it's sure making my summer go faster than it normally does by this time it's usually pretty dreary um and yeah we've been entertained uh, given the compressed off season yeah and now we can go see if uh team usa can escape the uh oh okay never mind they already did yeah sort of escape the... you know they were they were down 15 early and then uh, they must have just turned it on so so now, so now you all know that we're recording this on Wednesday night as Team USA <laughs> is uh, coming back against Australia. All right, this has been a Salt City Hoops podcast. If uh, more interesting stuff happens, we will be right back here to talk to you about it. Um, and we'll continue to cover the jazz and the offseason and, and preview what is to come at saltcityhoops.com. Thanks for listening.